0: Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a fantastic episode for you guys today. Part one of a two-parter that we recorded with Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School. And Gavin, we got into some pretty cool stuff. Uh, recorded last week, but I would say not dated at all. Talking about sort of the the team construction of some of the teams that were left in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, we talk about the, the lessons we learned from those teams and how we can apply them to the Knicks. Um, we open up the conversation talking a little bit about the Atlanta Hawks, uh, their, their multiplicity in terms of wings, whether the Knicks have that kind of depth at the position, and, and who on the Knicks could actually play in these conference finals series. And then we transition that to a conversation about Mitchell Robinson and, and what it means to be a center in the modern NBA, how you should invest your money in that position, and, and who exactly provides value. The bottom line, who exactly can stay on the floor? When the going gets tough, so all that and more, right now on Locked On Knicks.
0: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast
2: Network. Your team every day. And I think we
0: see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. He without a
2: five, for the win. Yes, up, up, left. And now
0: fires it he's good, and he's fouled. All right, welcome in to Locked on Nick's. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, resumed play-by-play man extraordinaire. And we are joined by a very special guest today coming back for... I don't know how many, uh, John. You tried to count how many times was on Nick's <laughs> Film School the other day. I, I haven't counted how many times you're unlocked on Locked On Nick's either, but a number of times. You know, we try to it, cross our paths at least a few times every season. Jonathan Macri of Nick's Film School, of course, authors the fantastic Nick's Film School newsletter, hosts the Nick's Film School podcast. You can find him on Twitter at JC Macri MBA. Uh, John Macri, what is going on, man? How are you? I
2: don't. I don't think.
0: James ever had me on. Um, what a jerk.
2: I know, really. Just if you're <laughs> listening to this, James, you you are a jerk. Um, no, but I think I remember the first time I was on, I think, it was just with Gavin Solo. And we were talking about um, the percentage chance that different Knicks on the roster would someday make an all-star team. And I am fairly certain I said that there was a 50, either maybe a 40% or a 50% chance that Kevin Knox would someday <laughs> Make at least at least one All Star team.
1: In the it was our clear number one, if I remember correct. I might have gotten seventy percent or something. Yeah, it doesn't. That that is probably. It was literally my first week on the job. He's Alex had his wedding <laughs> that week, and it was the podcast that far and away hasn't aged the best out of anything we've ever done. In, in fairness, I
0: I believe that was before they drafted RJ Barrett. So that was yeah. that was really dark times too, and that was also in the midst of Kevin Knox's Rookie of the Month campaign. Uh, uh in that December,
2: sounds like it
0: was roughly around that time. I'm going to, you know what, for my I, own. I know exactly when it was. it was literally like, it was like yeah, the, the week after my wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Cause we started like Gavin and I started this podcast. Like it was, it was really weird. Like we actually didn't do a, a show together for like almost a month after we both started because I had my wedding and then my honeymoon. And then Gavin had like a week and a half long, like tournament he had to go to and like call like a zillion games at. And so we were like, we didn't cross paths like we started the beginning of December and we didn't really cross paths and start doing shows together till like the beginning of January. Uh, <laughs> I think it would be it would be kind of funny if we had just never
1: done an episode together and we just rotated every every night and they were like, wow, I wonder what you guys would sound like together and like, you were like, yeah, I guess we'll never know. The,
0: the crossover extraordinaire, the two hosts get together to do an episode. <laughs> nah, it keeps it, it keeps it fresh. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. but but now I don't feel as bad with with the the timing of the Knox prediction. Yeah, it was it was really dark times back then. Now we're not in so dark of times. no um, it's, it's great. Yeah, I actually. So if if anybody missed it, I went on. John's show the other day on Nick's Film School podcast. And we were just kind of talking about a little bit of everything, which we're kind of going to do today. But one thing that stood out to me was when we were talking about the Hawks. And I brought up, you know, something to the effect of, and I think I've brought this up on here and in some of our some of our green room discussions and stuff about maybe treating the Hawks almost like a blueprint as an alternative team building strategy, right? And but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you first, John, how do you feel now about the first round loss to the Hawks and the fact that the Knicks were even able to take a game off of this team that now has beaten the Sixers in seven games and just beat Milwaukee on the road in game one in the Easter Conference Finals? Uh, the fact that the Knicks could have had that be a six-game series had one Trey Young bucket gone a different way in the first game Makes you feel pretty good Um, (laughs) considering where they've gotten now.
2: You know, I'll say I'll, I feel okay about it. But then again, I, as much as I was disappointed in the moment, I kind of felt okay about it right after, or at least there was no part of me after it happened where I was like, I can't believe we lost to that crappy team because I wrote, you know, on in the newsletter for like several days before the series started that, like, look, the Hawks are the more talented team. Um, I thought that before the series started, I think that now, and uh, I thought that during the series. And um, I thought the Knicks would win in seven um, because I thought that they were tougher. I thought they had the better coach. I thought Julius Randle would be the best player in the series. Um, And, you know, that didn't come to transpire. I mean, do I feel a little bit better about it now? Sure, I guess. Um, I think specifically, I feel better about the fact that like, You know the the knock during the series was they can't stop Trey Young and they can't exploit Trey Young on defense. And now you know we're recording this after uh, the Bucks lost Game One at home to to Atlanta. And um, I would say the the Bucks did probably a better job than anybody else has in the playoffs of exploiting Young on defense. But obviously it wasn't enough to win the game. And um, (laughs) you know they traded their entire future draft cupboard um, along with. Actually, no. There was no good young player in that trade. It was just Eric Bledsoe, who sucks. Um, but whatever to get like th- you'd th- you'd theoretically think the guy like best suited in the entire league to stop Trey Young, and Trey Young, you know, went off for 48 points. So like specifically from a Trey Young perspective, I feel I feel better um, about it. Yeah, that's that's what I would say.
1: All right, it's about that time, guys. Let's take our first break, and finally, I know you've been waiting at the edge of your seat. announced this week's. Nickelobe Ultra Player of the Week. It's Mitchell Robinson. And now normally with this segment, guys, we talk about someone who's been playing well recently. And since no one on the Knicks has been playing recently, I wanted to take a look back and honor someone who had a great season for the Knicks before some unfortunate injury luck. But I, I think people forget the strides that Mitch made this year in terms of his ability to stay on the floor and not foul and, and drop back in the pick and roll. And play defense intelligently while still maintaining his same athleticism and penchant for disruption that made him a great asset for the Knicks in in, in the first place. And for M- Mitchell Robinson, for me at least, was was a beacon of happiness and joy these last few years. I, I didn't no other player or, or play brought the same kind of enjoyment as him skying up for a lob or, or inexplicably blocking a shot from behind the arc. And you got to remember with Mitch and with Michelob Ultra, wow, they kind of sound similar. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, Michelob Ultra is easy to enjoy. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game with Mitchell Robinson. It's the whole game. All right, guys, we'll be back on the show with Jonathan Macri specifically In just a sec. Um, But first, I want to remind everyone that today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I know Alex and I will probably be talking about Suns Clippers game six when we come back tomorrow. I will either be elated or heartbroken. But for now, let's return to this conversation with Jonathan Macri. Yeah, so I guess I guess the next step is is to sort of look forward for the Knicks and say when we when we kind of go over this postseason, what are the takeaways in terms of how the Knicks could ultimately improve their roster? And for me, at least, the most the single most interesting thing going on in the playoffs, I, Hawks aside, but but the Hawks sort of fit into this conversation is the Clippers' small ball lineup and what they did to Utah and how they they didn't play Rudy Gobert off the floor and he was still like. Um, I heard Zach Lowe mention this, and this was something I was kind of thinking about before. Like he he was still like pretty effective defensively in that series, right? And and he was like like for a big guy, he was shockingly good at being out on the perimeter and using his wingspan to make things tough. And even if he got blew by a couple of times, by and large, he was still a helpful defensive player. But he wasn't who he is in the regular season, which is this all-encompassing, all-dominant force that can turn a team with four other defenders that range between average and and kind of bad. Uh, Royce O'Neal, apologies aside. Um, and, and turn them into a great defense. Um, he's not that guy when you, when you go small and you spread them out. So it kind of got me thinking, like, all right, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what does what does a center need to be in in twenty twenty one to succeed in the postseason, especially against a team like the Clippers that's capable of playing five out and taking advantage if you don't have that perfect guy. And I basically, I mean, we got the answer the next series. You you essentially have to be DeAndre, and you have to be extremely mobile on the perimeter defensively, be able to switch out while also being able to protect the rim. And then on offense, you have to have enough of a game to be able to leverage um, a weaker team, whether that's like you're a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic and you're just an offensive genius, or even if you're a step below that and and someone like DeAndre Ayton who isn't like overwhelming offensively but can do a lot of different things, like can post up and make a jump hook or can hit an elbow jumper um, or can dive to the rim on a pick and roll. And that's how you weaponize that and leverage a small ball team. And it kind of got me thinking like if the Knicks had somehow – like skirted through the Eastern Conference, made it to the NBA Finals, and they were playing that Clippers team, um, how would they have been able to match up? Like, would you have been able to play Mitchell Robinson? And, and to me, that it kind of gets interesting there because defensively, I think you could, but you kind of get the same questions with Gobert, where like, is he as effective away from the rim? Even if he's still a solid defender. But then offensively, is it even worth like giving up whatever you're giving up by not just putting a small ball five in on defense? Because Mitch right now, similar to Gobert, like, I don't think you'd get occasional lobs with him. But if, even if they were switching, like, I don't know, Marcus Morris onto him, would he be able to take advantage of that one-on-one? Not really. Because he doesn't really have any kind of one-on-one game. And, and I guess this is a big picture way, John, of asking you. Just looking forward to the future, what are the adjustments the Knicks have to make on their roster to sort of um, have a bulletproof vest against those small ball <laughs> that seem increasingly like the best teams in the NBA are going to go to at the, at the biggest moments of the season?
2: Well, let me say a, a couple things first. One, and this is not my observation, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Zach Lowe has talked about this on his pod, the the Gobert issue on defense was only a real issue because of the Jazz's um poor perimeter defenders. Um and you know, like Mitchell was was hobbled. He's usually better than than he showed and like the rest of their guys could just they could not stay in front of the you know, the the Clippers um, wings. So that was an issue. The other thing I'll say in terms of cause the way you asked the question was like, how can the Knicks be bulletproof against this? My first thought was like, well, they need to, they need to, it, it's, <laughs> I think that's a that's a first world problem. And I'm I'm not quite sure if the Knicks are like, yes, we're above the third world, right? We're, we're not eating beans and rice anymore. But I'm not quite sure if we're at the, you know, the filet mignon um, stage of, of the game yet. I think it, it would be a bigger issue for the Knicks in terms of team building right now. If they were in a situation where they had to, um, can, I, can I curse on this podcast?
0: If yeah. I, if I, okay. yeah.
2: You could drop one, just just one. Uh, if they had to shit or get off the pot in regards to like a significant team building decision that um, involved the center position, and I, I don't think they're quite there yet. I know obviously Mitchell Robinson, they have a chance to to make him restricted or or potentially you know just keep him for one point eight next year and then and then uh, offer him like still negotiate an extension at a, at a smaller number. Um, I, I don't really sense the urgency. What I will say generally speaking to to your point, Gavin, is that I the the comparison that I've been making over the last in my head at least over the last few weeks is like centers in the NBA um are kind of like running backs have become in football. like your your best team building strategy is probably to not spend a ton of money on one unless you have you know, one of the top three or four guys. And you know what? Even then, like how many of the top three or four running backs in the league have won, you know, have led their team to a Super Bowl? We could also turn and say, well, you know, and I I understand the Nuggets had injuries and like they got the whole Simmons thing in Philly. But like, is that even if you have one of the best guys, a sustainable um, path? So, you know, I, I this is a very long winded way of saying I think the Knicks moving forward would be wisest to maintain as much roster flexibility as possible, which is to say, don't lock themselves into like, okay, we have now committed X amount of dollars to what it has to be the center position, right? Or like what has to be like what, you know, that, that's really the position that stands out because there's so much fluidity with the other positions, maybe with the exception of Julius Randle, who kind of has to play the four. Um I, and then the last thing I'll throw in there, and this is, I don't even know if this is an answer to your question. This is just gobbledygook coming from my brain. Um, but it is what it is. This is clearly why you guys have me on, because the cohesiveness of my responses. <laughs> um, it, I, I don't think that Tibbs is ever going to change his fundamental principle in terms of how he runs a defense. It's keep, you know, um, protect the paint at all costs. And you can do that without a a traditional five or a rim protecting five, but it becomes a lot harder. Um, I just, I I have a tough time seeing this organization as long as Tibbs is the coach pivot to a place where like, for instance, the, the Clippers are at, but then again, the 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 brilliant thing about the Clippers roster building and why they'd probably be the favorites if Kawhi didn't get hurt is like they have Zubach. Zubac is a, a serviceable not rim protector, but like if you stick him in the middle, teams just can't like waltz their way to to the hoop. But at the same time, because he only makes I think it's seven million dollars a year, if you stick him in mothballs for a series where he doesn't really make sense, it's it's you're you're not dumping a large, you know, part of your resources by the wayside. Um, which gets back, you know, in, indirectly, this is a question of like, okay, well, how much do you pay Mitchell Robinson? Um, and there, will there be ever a series that where you can't play Mitch? And, uh, no, I lied. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I think the nice thing about Mitch is he is versatile enough that you could get, you could survive with more than survive with him on the perimeter. I think you, you're, 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 okay if he has to do some switching in a spot. And I think his, his, we've forgotten cause out of sight, out of mind, but like the vertical threat he provides on offense I think it's every bit as good as as Clink Capella. And like, you know, like what well, you know, is only why can't that be part of your blueprint moving forward? I, I but I do think it depends on the cost um, of what it's going to cost to keep up.
0: All right, we're gonna take our second break. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Betonline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs in baseball and are thick in the playoffs in the NBA and NHL. Head to the website BetOnline. Or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON at betonline.ag for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Plus, why would you want to endure all the pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand they happen to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when you use RockAuto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50% or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, whether you're a home mechanic or a professional mechanic, and they have everything you could need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, or in my case, gas caps. I got a gas cap from there recently. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, and if you decide to pick one up right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And obviously, I mean, you just bring up Capella and it's, it, you know, that kind of brings me to like we started this discussion a little bit on your show the other day. And and I sort of wanted to dive into it a little more here of, you know, maybe the Hawks have provided sort of a a blueprint for the Knicks in a way. Um, I know that Jeremy Cohen wrote something for the Strickland sort of saying this as well the other week, which is still still pretty fresh on our, on our page. So if anybody wants to go read that uh, it's got a nice illustration of Leon Rose thinking about marshmallows. Um, But like it's, you know, I think there's a case to be made for the fact that the Knicks maybe don't have to pursue the route of team building that they've attempted and failed to pursue for however many years now, which I'll call maybe like, I don't know what you want to call it. The heat model, the warriors model, the nets model. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I, he, the,
0: Heat kind of laid out the, the blueprint in, in right? that,
2: in that form. Like I know the yeah. Celtics obviously had a big three before that, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But like in the sense of, you know, banking all your chips for one summer sort of thing of like, or, you know, for you want to build your whole team in like two years basically would be the Nets model of you sign your two guys. And then the next year, you know, you try to trade for the third or whatever, or even partway through that year, you try to trade for the third and you know build like this big three but then that that leaves you a questionable depth which obviously came came through in the the net series and the fact that you know if slash when one or two of their big three were hurt they were kind of in a bad position depth wise and you know that was probably what sunk them I mean as brilliant as Kevin Durant was and the fact that that series with Milwaukee did go seven games you know it they lost and they were supposed to be a cakewalk to the finals, you know, and instead they get a second round exit uh, because in large part of banking on guys that are not consistently healthy and then also, you know, not having the depth behind them to make up for that and get them to a point where all three guys could potentially get healthy for like the finals. Yeah. Um. And, and they went through that during the regular season too. All that is to say we're now moving towards, you know, I'm trying to look at the Hawks now at who we opened the show talking about and they sort of are following this model of they basically, I I wouldn't say they went all in on this core that they have, but I think what they did was smart. They, and you know, if you would have asked me, was it smart? during last offseason, I I might not have said so. I actually thought they were being kind of brash with the I, amount of money that they were spending.
2: I, I wouldn't have. I thought the Gallinari contract was one of the worst contracts that was signed last summer. And now yeah, all, all he's doing is hitting massive shot after massive shot in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and leading all the way up to it. Even if that's his only utility, he's serving like a very important role for them.
2: Pretty important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And now I would say, I would say out of all the contracts that they signed last year, offseason though his is probably the only one that I would consider a borderline untradeable contract like they kind of have locked themselves into Gallinari and I don't know how many teams would be lining up to pay him 20 million dollars without an asset attached like hitting big shots in the in clutch moments or not I I don't I just think that where his game is at right now and his injury history and everything he's he's maybe not in the best space as far as if they look to upgrade or something but let's say that the Hawks end up losing this series or they end up losing in the finals or whatever. And they're looking to make upgrades. I mean, they put themselves, I think, in a pretty great position where whether they upgrade or not, they're going to be a team that's going to be able to compete for a long time. You know, like they're going to be able to probably at minimum make the second round of like every year for the next like four or five years, probably, and potentially going forward. Because you look at the contracts that they handed out and granted they're helped along by the fact that Trey Young is, is making... million this year. And it will be making just over 8 million next year that allowed them to kind of make these moves to fill that cap space. But the Knicks are facing sort of a similar dilemma going into RJ Barrett's third season next year, where that has an expiration date of RJ Barrett only making X amount of dollars before you're going to have to pay him a big amount for sure. And if he continues on this development curve, who knows when that's going to be or how much that's going to be, I should say. Um, But at any rate, like they signed Bogdanovich 18 million a year for, Three years with a fourth-year player option. They signed Gallinari for nineteen and a half million. Um, they they signed Rondo and then traded him for Lou Williams, which I think was a fantastic trade for them. Uh, yeah, who's making eight million dollars? You know, they have um, Chris Dunn. You know, who didn't really play much, but was a, I think a worthy gamble at five million. You know, like that was worth that was a contract worth signing. And you know that you just add these guys, and then all of a sudden. Particularly Bogdanovich and Gallinari, uh, and then you trade for Capella, obviously, who's making sixteen million this year and will make a max of eighteen million in in two years. I mean, I think there's a there's a parallel to be made, obviously, between Capella and Mitch, and I think if you could get uh, Mitch will almost assuredly sign for less than that because he just doesn't have the resume, thanks to injuries and everything else, which is unfortunate, but for sure, yeah, good for the Knicks from a team building perspective. Uh, you know, I'm warming more to the idea of. Potentially going after guys that you can pay a, a pretty decent chunk of money, but that aren't untradable if something better comes along. Like the Hawks, I think, are in a great position with a number of young players on their roster, which the Knicks, you know, depending on what they do in this draft, if they keep all three picks, I mean they would have potentially seven guys on rookie contracts next year. <laughs> uh uh... Well, it depends what they do with Knox, but yeah, sure. Yeah. It, so Knox would be on his last year, which maybe they get rid of him, but they would have RJ quickly uh, OB. And then I'm assuming that the final pick this year would be, would be, um, uh, you know, a draft and stash type guy if they keep it, if they don't like sell it to somebody, but yeah. assuming that they make all three picks at 19, 21 and 32, then that would be six, six rookies under contract. So that's, very tradable assets there. If you could sign a guy like I don't know Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley, you know, might be a floor raiser type. Uh, if in some universe you can get Chris Paul, like maybe he wins the championship in Phoenix and says mission accomplished and then goes to New York <laughs> to play at Madison Square Garden under yeah. his like former agent/best friend uh Leon Rose, you know, maybe that's something that happens. Like I think I'm fully on board with that sort of move at this point. And I don't know if a year ago I would have been because I think that a year ago, everything looked more like you had to sign the big stars if you want to win. And yet now we're sitting in these two conference finals where the Clippers notwithstanding, because they definitely, I mean, they went that route by getting Kawhi in free agency and trading the farm for Paul George. But the other three teams were built pretty organically and they made some moves at the right time. But I mean, they're, they mostly just kind of built a good roster, a good, well-rounded roster. And that guided them here. So I, I'm kind of warming to that idea, but what are your thoughts on that general like philosophy? Sorry, those very long. I, on my
2: no, I think it's a look, uh, it's a fantastic philosophy and you don't even need to limit it to the Hawks this year, because I think if we're watching now, what Phoenix is doing in the other – on the other conference, like they've gone up to – I know they're both games are at home and I understand that the Clippers are without um, Paul George or without Kawhi Leonard, but they were without Kawhi Leonard for the last two games of the last series and they won both of those against a Utah team that I know, we, as we just discussed a little while ago, they have their flaws, but they were also – they also had the statistical profile of a team this season, not that should win the title, but they should walk to, to the title or, or like – steamroll their way um, to the title. That's how much better their net rating was with everybody else. So um, what the, what the sons are doing with Devin Booker at the helm, I actually think is a better example because I think where you're not, where you're missing me with the Hawks example, but where I, I guess I'm a, a, not, I don't want to say I'm disagreeing, but like, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that whether Trey young is a top No top 15 top 20 top 10 NBA player during the playoffs where it's basically like how good is your best shot creator and and is do you have a way to neutralize if you're the other team that shot creator and and like what what does he take off the table I'm not sure if there are I mean, how many guys would you rather have than Trey Young at this point? Like, let me can I just throw an absurd one out at you, and, and people will hear this and and laugh and call me names. Who would you rather have next season in the playoffs for your playoff run, LeBron James or Trey Young? It's an honest huh. question.
1: Wow,
0: I mean,
2: LeB- I, I mean,
1: yeah, so I'd, Le- I'd still lean LeBron just because I do think maybe maybe he's avoided it so far, but I do think the right team can still weaponize Trey defensively. And okay, maybe, yeah. but yeah, but I mean, to your point, the fact that like, I like paused for a second and thought about it. Is, yeah, is, you had to,
2: th- you had to think it. for a half a second, in
0: a, right? In a vacuum, I'd say LeBron. But it, exactly. In a in, in a a right situation, I might say Trey. It depends. But, but so why, but we're not talking about in a vacuum. We're talking
2: about, of course, Trey Young is on a team that has been built, tailor-made, tailor-made, um, to, uh, um, accentuate his strengths. And minimize his weaknesses in every way, shape, and form. LeBron James, I I think we've seen, needs to also be on a certain type of team. Now, he's arguably the most versatile player in the history of the league and he could bend more, but like, you know, if you're just talking about like that Laker team moving forward, like do they have the shooting and this and the other thing? So, you know, there are other guys. Doncic obviously is one, Kawhi Leonard is one, Kevin Durant is one. Um, I I am sure there's an obvious name or two I'm missing, but like, hey, we just saw Trey Young's team beat Joel Embiid's team, you know. Um, you know, even if like if the Nuggets were healthy, I guess I would probably take Jokic too. But like he is really, I think, bending our definitions of like what is a superstar because you look at him, and he certainly doesn't look like one, and he can't defend a paper bag. So and yet Um, he's, you know, now a game up in the Eastern conference finals, who knows, maybe the bucks come back and win four straight. And this looks ridiculous a week and a half from now. But, um, the Suns to me are a better example because to me, Devin Booker is a more limited player. I understand he can get a bucket from anywhere on the court, scored 70 points in a game. Um, you know, there's like, he's bigger. Um, he could do a little playmaking like, yes, he's awesome. But like, to me. There's a chance at least that like Julius Randle or even RJ Barrett ups their game to the point next year where you're like, okay, maybe one of them gets close to the Devin Booker level. And then it's about just filling out the rest of the roster, which both of these teams obviously have done immensely well. Um, the thing I will say, and I couldn't help but think this about your, when you were saying to me or when you were talking about the Hawks and like how they went out and and they got um, you know all these pieces this summer – there are uh, two of their last – I think it was – was it two of their last three 19th picks um, or, or whatever. Two of their last three draft picks or three of their last four – two of their last four draft picks were ni- the 19th pick in the draft. One was John Collins and one was Kevin Herter. Um, both guys playing an immense role on this team. Now the Knicks have the 19th and the 21st pick in the draft. Am I saying they need to end up with John Collins or Kevin Herter? No, but like you don't – like. The, The whole reason they felt comfortable going out and spending that money on those free agents was because they – and were able to – was because they had guys like Collins and Herter Um, and Jandre Hunter, who we haven't even talked about, um, which is why – the other thing I was thinking when you were asking the question was like, you know, what are the Hawks going to be moving forward? I mean, they're not even playing with Hunter in this series. They could turn around and flip Hunter. And like their entire draft, like their next draft st- or however many years worth of a draft stash and go get like Bradley Beal um, or, or someone of that. I mean, I don't know who's going to be available this summer, but like someone of that ilk. And they could really solidify themselves potentially um, as a force in the East for years to come. Um, again, very long winded way of saying I, I think the, the Knicks need to. Someone still needs to take. A step up whether I don't know if it's going to be Randall taking another step I don't know if it's going to be RJ taking a leap um, and then I think they they like what's Obi going to be next year what's quickly going to be next year like the, the thing with the Suns that there's no they don't put any weak spots forget about no weak spots like everybody that they put on the court can do real stuff like real important stuff like you know who's the most limited player that they're playing in this series is I guess what is it Cam Johnson Tory probably Craig, right Craig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Tory Craig. And Tori Craig is, their, is like their eighth man, right? Eighth or ninth yeah. man? Yeah. 15 yeah. minutes a game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, when your worst guy is the, like, not the, I don't want to say he's the prototypical two way wing, but like, you know, he's a big wing. You can play some defense, you can hit a three. Like, for a lot of teams, that's like your fourth guy, or your—I mean, for the Knicks, <laughs> that, I mean, what's the difference? I mean, I know Reggie Bullock was great from three, but like, what's the difference between Reggie Bullock and Torrey Craig? Is it so? Is it such a marked difference? Eh, eh, you know, it's not an
0: ocean. Yeah, it's, it's not, not an it's ocean. Not a, it's not a big amount. And
2: yeah. there and there were times where Reggie Bullock this season, I thought he was the third or fourth most important player on the Knicks, and Torrey Craig is again whatever the eighth or ninth man for for Phoenix. So I think yes, alex i, I th- I'm okay with them going and making smart signings to raise the ceiling, but if they do that, I don't think that's all it would take. I think there needs to be if not a star turn like someone on their roster going to a place where it's like you can't guard me in a playoff series um which is like Trey Young and to a slightly lesser extent devin Booker um and I don't I don't think they I don't think you could win a, play, a high-level playoff series without having that that guy.
0: I would I, – sorry, I'll, I'll let Gavin hop in because I know I, I did a long monologue and then you just did one. But it, if I was going to look at for internal development candidates on the Knicks that could potentially reach that level, I think there's a chance – I don't know if both do it, but I think there's a chance that one of RJ or Quickly could could hit that level. Quickly could do uh, it. I think that's, quickly. Exactly, that's
1: what I was going to say. I think he's the most likely yeah. guy.
0: Honestly, I I, I just and it, it quickly just needs to work that handle. And uh, he's already got the pull up shooting. He's got the floater. He's you know, he was getting better at finishing on the inside. If he gets his handle up to a up to a high level, which I have no reason to believe he won't. I mean, he could be the guy.
2: Well, who can I just real quick? Who was the second most important player on the floor on offense for the Sixers at the end of that series? It was Seth, Seth Curry. Kirk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you telling me that there's not a world where Emmanuel quickly can't become a slightly better version of
1: Seth Curry? Yeah. No, I think I, I would even argue it's likely, at least de- definitely offensively. And I think if you're the Knicks, your concern is that to me, he's he's the primary candidate and it feels weird with RJ to just preemptively rule that out. But I still see RJ ceiling, not, not in that he's the same player, but in terms of production, a little bit closer to Chris Middleton. Like I, I think he's, his best case scenario is still being your prototypical second banana, just because I don't I don't see that off-the-dribble shake. And, and he did, he did at points, look really, really good in the mid-range game. And there's a little bit of potential there, because that, that's where Devin Booker absolutely kills you, right? Like, he, he gets to that elbow and rises up, and, and no, nobody's blocking the shot. And it's just sort of like, is he feeling it that night? And if he is, we, we've seen throughout the playoffs going against the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, like, teams just don't have an answer to it. And to me, RJ just is whatever particular type of athleticism that is, that start, stop, rise up, and then touch on the shot. I, I'm not sure where, maybe maybe it is just in terms of pure touch, but I think RJ is just a notch below that. And I only say that because Booker at the same age was was already, as someone who was at a lot of those games, was already showing no. this basically. And I don't see... And again, maybe I'm, I'm crazy to doubt him because the jump RJ made as a three-point shooter this year is, is pretty unprecedented throughout NBA history. So a preemptive apologies to future RJ if I'm totally wrong, and I, I couldn't be happier to be totally wrong, but I, I think he's going to be a notch below that. I think Randall, um, again like crazy, crazy improvements. so who's, who's to put a limit on him? But I think even if he gets better on the margins, you sort of have two quote unquote, Chris Middleton types there, which are really good, incredibly useful, needed to win a playoff series. but you don't have that primary creator. And whether it's either to me it's either quickly or it's someone you're going to trade for or, or sign in free agency. But then taking the next step forward off of that, I mean what are we, what are we really talking about like when we're, we're talking about the depth of the suns and the Hawks? It's these two-way wings with this massive, massive utility. And to me, that was why I was so excited about the Hawks coming into this season. I was like, you know what? Like around Trey, they're, they're, they're building like – give uh, Travis Schlenk, like all the cred in the world. Like They're, mm-hmm. they're insulating him. With, with the perfect, I mean, it's to what both of you said, the perfect supporting cast, like a great rim protecting center. And then Herter, who is, is not necessarily recognized as a great defender, but is big and, and can really move his feet and is smart. Bogdanovich, again, not, not a great defender on paper, but big and can move his feet. Hunter, who probably fully healthy will be, if, if not an elite elite defender, a really, really good one. Cam Reddish, uh, not a great offensive player, really good defensively. On and on and on, these two-way wings. Um, easier said than done, right? Hardest. As people keep saying, outside of like the quote unquote like pure superstar, hardest single thing to find in the league is two way wings. And if I were to just, and I I did this a little bit before the show, like just go through the Knicks roster right now. I mean, who are the who are the wings on the Knicks as currently constituted? Who would be playing in either of these two series? The the Bucks are the one team that doesn't really have that or, or really any kind of depth. So maybe for them, you could argue like Burks and Bullock would, would probably be pretty integral parts of their rotation. But for the other three teams, especially for the Hawks, a more healthy version of the Hawks, RJ would probably be playing. I think,
2: some- I think RJ would. I think yeah. the shooting came far. If the shooting was last season's shooting and everything else was this season, I would, say, I would still say no, but the shooting, I think he, he, he plays.
1: Right. So RJ, and I guess the the only reason I I put him in the probably category, not the definitely, is just because of the drop-off we saw from him in the playoffs. But you can argue that the Knicks couldn't insulate RJ as well. as I mean, like again, the whole point is having Trey Young or Booker or or Paul George next to RJ all of a sudden makes his life that much easier. So let's just comfortably put RJ there. But would Burks be playing big minutes for this team? And and this circles back to what you said, Reggie Bullock? Yeah, sure. He'd be 10 to 15 minutes on the Sun. So the point is the Knicks- If that. If that. Yeah, if that. So the Knicks have to find a way to get more of these guys. And to me- This draft does present a golden opportunity.
0: All right, that's it for this first episode with Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School. We will be back for a second part tomorrow where we're going to get into the draft. Some guys that we think could be a good fit for the Knicks to sort of address some of the needs and goals that we laid forth in this episode. So stay tuned. We'll have that episode up for you guys tomorrow. But until then, peace out. Talk to you all soon.